while back, we had a lesson about the permanence of marriage. And we looked at marriage being by God's design between a man and a woman, that those who have the right to be married are bound by God. God hates divorce. And that fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. We saw in our study that there was one lawful reason for a lawfully married husband or wife to divorce his or her spouse. And that was that they may divorce or put away that a wife or a husband who is guilty of fornication. There's no authority for a husband or wife divorcing their spouse for just any reason. And we also spoke a little bit about one who's living in adultery, what they need to do, and how their repentance demands that he or she put away that husband or wife to which they have no right. We saw that we asked the question, who may rightfully remarry? Well, certainly the one whose spouse has died, Romans chapter 7 and verses 1 through 3, and again, the innocent man or woman who put away his or her wife for their fornication. Would also could also add that one who has unlawfully left their husband or wife needs to be reconciled. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 10 and 11 um, to that husband or wife. I mentioned in that lesson, and I know it's been a bit ago, that we would look at some errors that are often taught concerning marriage and divorce and remarriage. And that's what I'd like to do this morning. I want to consider four in particular. The number of them is exceedingly great, but there are four that trouble many brethren today that are really quite common. The first one I want us to think about is this one, and that is that some have said that the alien is not under the law of Christ, the law of the covenant. Now that alone, someone looks at that and says, what does that have to do with divorce and remarriage? This is a quotation from Homer Haley's book, The Divorced and Remarried Who Would Come to God. This is not a new doctrine or teaching that he held, but a man by the name of E.C. Fuqua, as well as J.D. Bales, uh, held these views. What is it then that this has to do with divorce and remarriage? It's the idea of this, that those who have not obeyed the Gospel are not under the things that Jesus spoke concerning divorce and remarriage, such as in Matthew 19. That is, Jesus' teaching doesn't apply to them. They're not, as they would say, under that law. They're not, they're not, that's not a law for people who are not Christians. The result of this doctrine is that if one divorced his spouse, not for fornication and remarried, which of course Jesus said means he commits adultery, but if he did all of this prior to becoming a Christian, then when he becomes a Christian, he should remain in his marriage because he never really did commit adultery because that was not a law for him. Matthew 19 and verse 9, as well as other things that Jesus said, such as in Matthew 5 and 32. There are problems with this teaching and doctrine. Of course, all men everywhere 
are answerable to the things that Jesus taught in His Gospel. The things that Jesus taught, He began to preach the Gospel of His Kingdom. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. And He continued to teach that in preparation for the Kingdom coming. And the Kingdom did come in Acts chapter 2. And the apostles continued the work of preaching the Gospel. The things that they taught are things for all men. In John chapter 12 and verse 48, John 12 and 48, Jesus said, He who rejects Me and does not receive My words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Every man will be judged by Jesus' words in the last day. Jesus made no exceptions to that. But consider Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 through 20. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, since I have all authority over all men, over all in heaven and earth, go therefore and make disciples of who? All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've taught you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus has authority over all. His law then, His teachings apply to all. John chapter 17 and verse 2, Jesus spoke these words to His Father in heaven, as you have given Him, that is, He's speaking of Himself, authority over all flesh. Authority over all flesh. That's the right to command and direct all men. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 21, in 1 Corinthians 9 and 21, Paul said to those who are without law, he became as without law, not being without law toward God, but being under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. He tried to win a Jew and he tried to win a Gentile. But he says that all... He says it's not that they're without law to God. He says they're under law to Christ. All men are under law to Christ. The things that Jesus taught apply to all men. And that includes His teaching on divorce and remarriage, such as in Matthew 19 and Matthew 5.32. I believe that the Corinthians are evidence that Gospel teaching included teaching about adultery. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verses 9 through 11 in verses 9 through 11 Paul later writes to them he was there in Corinth for some 18 months teaching and now he later writes do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Some of them were these things. And those things included adultery, things about which Jesus taught what it was, as well as what Paul would also teach, such as he did 
in the seventh chapter of this letter. What did they teach? They taught the gospel. Not the Old Testament law of adultery, but the gospel. The gospel teaching of adultery. The gospel teaching of these things. This is what Paul would have taught and this is what they were. But they're not that any longer. But furthermore, when Jesus spoke about divorce and remarriage, such as in Matthew 5.32, and He was speaking to a wide audience of His disciples, He said, I say to you that whoever, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Who is the whoever? That's a valid question. Who is the whoever? Well, let's just turn a little bit over to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The whoever is whoever. <laughs> it's as wide as his teaching went. His teaching went, was for all people. This is true of all people. All men today are answerable to the same law of Christ. That's why we teach the same law of Christ to all men. The Gospel of Jesus Christ in every part of it. We can't leave a part out. One, James speaks of in James chapter 2 and verse 10, that if one fails in one part, he's what? Guilty of all. He can't ignore part of the law. Jesus, in His teaching of the Gospel, taught a Gospel for all creation, for all men. This law that Jesus taught is applicable to all men, even before the Christians. It's for them too. But there's an associated doctrine that comes along with this idea that people who are not Christians aren't accountable to anything Jesus said in Matthew 19 and Matthew chapter 5. And that is that when one is baptized into Christ, he's forgiven of all his past sins. Okay, if he was in a marriage that was adultery, then he may remain in that marriage. And then a further step is taken by some. If a Christian commits adultery by divorcing his wife and marrying another, he can pray to God for forgiveness and then remain in the marriage. I talked to a preacher in Washington's western Washington State um, in the late 90's about divorce and remarriage and he said, I believe anybody who's currently not married can get married. Wouldn't matter how many times or what reason or anything. And he used 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. Now that's completely out of context, brethren. But what does the Bible say about this? What about when someone is in adultery? And then they become a Christian. What are they to do with that marriage that they're in? Let's see what the Bible says. What they're saying in this doctrine contradicts the Bible teaching of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, a turning from sin and unto God, and that's what Vine says about it, a turning from sin and unto God, which produces a change of life. And we see this as we see what uh, John the Baptist preached in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he didn't stop there. In verse 8, he says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Fruits worthy of repentance. 
So repentance is a change of mind, but it's followed by a change of action, a change of life. In Matthew chapter 21 and verses 28 and 29, Jesus spoke this uh, example here, uh, a parable of two sons. In verse 28, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the, my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not, but afterward he regretted and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the name, in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe Him. So this first one, I will not, but He afterward regretted and went. This shows repentance. He regretted and then He went. Repentance involves a change then, not only of the mind, but followed by a change of actions. Repentance, of course, is a requirement in order to be saved. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, beginning in verse 37, they asked men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered and said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Change your life. Change your mind. Followed by a change of actions. In Acts chapter 17 and verses 30, and 31, Paul preached the necessity of repentance when he said, There in Athens, truly these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now He commands all men everywhere to repent, because He's appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. Repentance is a requirement to be saved, and repentance is a requirement for the Christian to be forgiven of his sins. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, when Simon the exorcer sinned, Peter said to him, Repent therefore of this your wickedness, and pray God that perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. What is repentance? It's a change of mind followed by change of action. And so this doctrine contradicts the Bible teaching of repentance. Let's go further to understand that. Those who continue practicing their sin are described as having not repented. Someone says, oh, I've repented, but they continue living in and practicing their sin. The Bible describes such as having not repented. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verses 20 and 21. Paul wrote, For I fear lest when I come I should not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, and lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and licentiousness which they've practiced. Not repented. Revelation 9 and verse 20 and 21 
describes a similar situation. Revelation 9 and verses 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The idea is that they continue practicing these things. They've not repented. Repentance involves an end to the practice, putting it off. In the Bible, those who repented turned from their evil ways. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 41, Matthew 12 and 41, Jesus said, The men of Nineveh will rise in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. They repented. What exactly did they do? Well, Jonah 3 and 10 tells us what they did. Jonah 3 and 10, God saw their works and they turned from their evil way. They turned from their evil way. They changed. What about the Bible teaching of repentance then? We said that's a change of mind followed by a change of action, fruits of repentance. Back there in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, we read that some used to be these things, that they've been washed. The fornicator then had been baptized into Christ. And as a result, he was washed, he was sanctified, and he was justified in the name of our Lord. Did he continue in fornication? Or did he cease? The idolater was baptized. Idolatry is mentioned here. He was baptized into Christ. He was washed, sanctified, and justified. Did he continue in his idolatry? Or did he cease it? The homosexual mentioned here. Sodomites and homosexuals. Baptized into Christ. They were washed, cleansed, and sanctified. Justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did they continue in their homosexuality then? Or did they cease it? The adulterer was baptized into Christ. He mentions adultery again in verse 9. Continue in his adultery or cease his adultery? I think we can see what the right answer is. Polygamy, drunkenness, extortion, it goes on and on in this list. Continue in or cease? You've been washed sanctified and justified. <clears throat> Baptism doesn't change a sinful act to a righteous act. The one who's living in adultery, it's still adultery. It doesn't change that to a righteous act now. It's still sin. The one who's living in a homosexual relationship, and I don't want to grant the right to the world to use the word marriage to describe it, but let's call it a civil union. The one who's in a promised civil union. His baptism into Christ doesn't change that into a righteous relationship, a righteous act. He's got to leave it. That repentance demands that. Some still will defend this doctrine. That is, that one who is baptized into Christ, who is living in adultery, can continue living with that husband or wife They'll say something like this, well, there's no command, there's no example, 
There's no inference, necessary inference or conclusion of one who is in adultery when they become a Christian needing to get out of that relationship. Where did Peter ever say, leave your husband or wife if you're living, if you were in an adulterous marriage? Never, where, where do you find this? Well, Colossians chapter 3 and verses 5 through 9. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 5 through 9. Paul said, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. When you lived in fornication, you know adultery is a form of fornication. When you lived in fornication, when you lived in these things, you walked in them, you lived them. But what? He says you once did. He says you put this to death. You can't stay in that. You can't continue doing that. How does that not say you've got to get out of the adultery? Now I'm going to look at an Old Testament example and we'll say, well, that doesn't apply to us. The Old Testament example is there for our learning, though. And someone says, well, I can't imagine anyone ever doing this. A bunch of people did it. A bunch of people did it because they were supposed to do it back there in the Old Testament. In Ezra chapter 10 and verses 1 through 3, now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large congregation of men, women, and children assembled to him from Israel for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the counsel of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. And we read on in verses 10 through 12, and they did so, verse 19, and they gave their promise that they would put away their wives and being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. And then in verse 44, all these had taken pagan wives and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Now why did they do that? Because they thought it was a good idea? They did it because it was according to the law of God. That's why. And that's the same reason one would do it today. Because it's according to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And according to the what is required of repentance. Sometimes someone will turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 20 and say, well, 1 Corinthians 7... And verse 20 says that one who, uh, let, it says this, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. So, if you were called by the gospel, became a Christian while you were living in adultery and married to this person, then you need to remain in that relationship. Well, first of all, we need to look at the context and see what he's talking about. In verse 17, But as God has distributed each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. 
Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of the God of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can, be made free. Rather, use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that calling in which he was called. What is in this context? Liberties are in this context. Circumcision and uncircumcision, slave or free, remain in that calling. What is not in this context is sin. Remain in sin. It's not talking about remaining in adultery or any other sin. We cannot take that which is unlawful and insert it into this context. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 20. In fact, verse 19 says, what matters is keeping the commandments of God. That's what matters. One more here. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 11 says not to divorce. So the man comes along and he's living in adultery, obeys the gospel, and then someone says, well, you're supposed to leave that marriage because you're living in adultery. And he says, well, the Bible says that I ought not to divorce my wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 10 and 11. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. Verse 12, or verse, rather verse 11. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Then I would ask this question. So you're saying that a polygamist must not divorce a spouse or spouses? He's not talking about remaining. He's not talking about a sinful marriage. He's talking about one that is right before God. Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Hebrews 13 and verse 4. The context doesn't allow for that which is unlawful in this context. That is, a one being in an unlawful marriage. To summarize this second doctrine, and the last two will be quicker, but repentance produces fruits of repentance. A marriage that was adultery before becoming a Christian does not become not adultery any more than a homosexual relationship before becoming a Christian becomes not a homosexual relationship once one is baptized into Christ. This doctrine is not true. But I want to go to a third doctrine. And that is something called mental divorce. Also known as second putting away. Mental divorce. What are we talking about? Well, obviously this is not Bible language. So let's see what this is usually presented as scenarios by people. We'll take a Bob and a Sue. If Bob divorces Sue, not for fornication, and Bob later remarries, then now Sue can divorce Bob mentally and remarry with God's approval. Some may add some qualifications to it, Sue could only do this if Sue didn't want the divorce to begin with. And further qualification, she continued to try to work to restore or something. I don't know. 
Promoters of this doctrine often use terms like married in God's eyes versus married in man's eyes or married as man sees it. Divorced in God's eyes versus divorced in man's eyes. Um, divorced as man sees it. They may use the word accommodatively. That is, as man sees it. Let's give this example again. Bob divorces Sue for bad cooking. <coughs> this is translated into Bob divorces Sue in man's eyes. See, because it's not lawful for her to, him to do this. But Bob divorces Sue in man's eyes, but not in God's eyes, because it's not lawful. Since it was unlawful divorce. So when Bob remarries, he's now guilty of adultery. So now, Sue can actually, in God's eyes, divorce him and remarry. This is playing games with Jesus' language, with the inspired Word. I want to read something to you and um, I, really, I really think it will be hard for you to catch this and because even if I put it on the board, we'd have to examine it for several minutes. But this is what is done with Matthew 19.9 in order to get to this. Brother Gene Frost, who I believe has passed away, wrote a booklet about this doctrine, about the error of it. And he reworded Matthew 19, 9, as it would need to be reworded by those who teach this doctrine. Here it goes. And I say to you, whoever shall actually divorce for the cause of fornication may marry actually another. But whosoever shall divorce in man's eyes accommodatively speaking, without fornication as the adultery, because he's not actually divorced and is actually married. I'm sorry, let me start that over. Whosoever shall divorce, accommodatively speaking, without fornication as a cause, and shall marry, accommodatively speaking, committeth adultery, because he's not actually divorced and is actually married. And whoso marrieth her, accommodatively speaking, which is put away, accommodatively speaking, commits adultery because she's not actually divorced. Yet if she, which is divorced, accommodatively speaking, did not consent to the divorce, which was an accommodative divorce, she may mentally divorce, actually, so that he who marries her, actually, does not commit adultery. Now, that's difficult to sort out. But that's what happens when you play with Jesus' words. Let's examine some of this. It's unsound speech because the Bible doesn't give such ideas as married in God's eyes and divorced in man's eyes and things like this. Well, they're only married in God's eyes. They're not married in man's eyes. Or they're married in man's eyes. They're not really married in God's eyes. Let's get an example here. Matthew chapter 6. Or rather Mark. Mark 6 and verses 17 and 18. Mark 6 verses 17 and 18. The courageous John the Baptist came to Herod and told him that he was, it was not lawful for him to have his brother's wife. But let's read verse 17 of Mark 6. Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. 
For John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You see, Herodias had been married to Philip, Herod's brother. But now, Herodias is married to Herod. And the Bible says that he had married her. This isn't a marriage in God's eyes or in man's eyes. This is just called marriage. Marriage is marriage whether it's lawful or not. Marriage is marriage whether it's for fornicate a remarriage, whether it's for fornication or not. It's still a marriage. The Bible doesn't distinguish different language there. Why do people do that with that? It's to try to promote the doctrine. It gives two different meanings to divorce and marries in one verse. Look at Matthew 19, 9 then. Matthew 19 and verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. I want you to see that the word divorce is used one time in the first part of that verse to describe a divorce that is for fornication and a divorce that is not for fornication. The word cannot mean two different things. A divorce is a divorce, whether it's lawful or not. The result is, of one being put away, is that they are no longer married. But that's a different, that's very different than being bound. Being bound. A lawfully married husband and wife are bound before God as long as they both shall live. And so, divorce, when a divorce occurs, not for fornication, are they still bound? Yes, they're still bound. They're still bound. They're divorced. This is what makes it adultery when they remarry. It's because they're bound. They don't have a right to marry someone else. But furthermore, this doctrine adds intent to Jesus' words. Sue says, I don't want the divorce. You see, there's qualifications they add to this. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery unless she didn't want the divorce. That's not in the text. It really contradicts Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32. Matthew 5 and 32. Jesus said, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Let me reword it for the mental divorcers. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except, except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery unless she did not want the divorce and she waited for him to commit adultery and then divorced him mentally. Then she does not commit adultery. It's adding to Jesus' words. It perverts the order of Matthew 19.9. The things that Jesus said there was that a fornication occurred and there was a divorce of that spouse for fornication and remarriage. And then there were consequences. Not that there was a divorce and now fornication comes along later. 
and then there's a remarriage. The text speaks nothing to that. Jesus told the consequences of both a divorce for fornication and a divorce not for fornication in these texts. In a divorce not for fornication, both parties commit adultery if they remarry. That's the simple truth of Luke 16 and verse 18. Without an exception stated. Let's read it. Jesus said in Luke 16, 18, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. That's without an exception. But in the exception clause in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, if a man or woman divorces their spouse for their fornication, for that spouse's fornication, they don't commit adultery when they remarry. If Bob divorces Sue for her fornication, Bob doesn't commit adultery when he remarries. But it still stands true that the man or woman who is divorced from his or her uh, divorced for his or her fornication or not for fornication commits adultery when they remarry. The one who's been divorced. Mental divorce is, you know, they say this. I don't know if you experienced it in your life. They say that when you're faced with personal situations that affect you closely, that it can be easy to come up with doctrines. And I don't know if that's what's behind some of this. Because these are hard words from Jesus. But man wants to soften them. But we have no right to do so. The person, this is the fourth and final, the person divorced for his or her fornication may remarry. In 1990, uh, Brother Ron Halbrook debated Jack Freeman from Las Vegas, Nevada on this topic. And Jack taught this. The person who had been divorced for their fornication may remarry. The guilty fornicator may remarry. So if Bob divorces Sue for fornication, both Bob and Sue are free to remarry. The reasoning they use is that if one is free to remarry, then both are free because the bond must be broken and both are free. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It confuses the marriage and the bond that if they're not married, then they're not bound anymore. But let's read Romans chapter 7 and verses 1 through 3. Romans 7, 1 through 3. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress, for, but if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not a, no adulteress, though she has married another man. There's a difference between being bound and being married. Here's a case of a woman who's bound to a living husband, but she's married to another man. She's no longer married to the first man. She's bound to him, but she's married to the second. And that's adultery. She shall be called an adulteress. Because two are divorced and no longer married does not mean they are not bound. Because a man or woman is not married does not mean that they're not bound. The man or the woman who was divorced for their fornication is indeed not married. They've been divorced. They've been put away. 
But where is it said or even implied that she's not bound? The general rule Jesus gave, we read it in Luke 16, 18, was that whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus granted no authority to the one who is divorced uh, who was divorced for his or her fornication to remarry. There's no... Where is that in the Bible? Where's the positive divine authority? We don't operate in God's silence. We do. We'd do anything. We'd have cookies and milk right now. But we don't. Jesus gave the right to remarry to only one. The one who divorced his or her spouse for fornication. Aside from the right of a widow or a widower to remarry, of course, or one being reconciled to their spouse in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. This in Matthew 19 and verse 9. This is the only one he gave the right to remarry. He who divorces his wife, and he gave the exception for fornication, then he would not commit adultery. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We cannot add to His Word nor take away. Jesus didn't give the right to a guilty fornicator to remarry. So, these four errors, I believe they're most prevalent errors. The alien is not under the law of Christ, the law of the covenant, and which is wrong, but as a result, then God's marriage law doesn't apply to him. That's what they say. It's not true. All are subject, accountable, and subject to the law of Christ and all of it. Since when one is baptized into Christ, he's forgiven of all his past sins. If he was in a marriage that was adultery, then he may remain in that marriage. That's error. Mental divorce, second putting away, the Bible does not teach such. The Bible doesn't teach that the guilty fornicator may remarry. Now what's the consequence of all this? The consequence of it is that people, a lot of people live in adultery. Okay, we can go to a society where divorce is not even legal, and there are such societies, and so you'd have less adultery going on, wouldn't you? But it's legal here. Divorce for any cause. And we live in a decadent society. It's not surprising that we have a lot of people living in adultery. We want them saved. But we can't have them... They won't be saved by remaining in adultery. We're saved when we turn to Jesus Christ in repentance, baptized for the remission of our sins, and walk in a new life. If we're not careful, emotions and personal associations can influence us away from the truth. And so I say to us who are married, divorce is not your backup plan. I'm saying that to myself. All of us, I know that. I've known it from a young age. But divorce is not your backup plan. And it means all the more that we give effort to build strong marriages. And that means, as someone said, this isn't a 50-50. It's a 100-100. Let us remember and renew our 100% commitment to our wives or to our husbands. And if you're not married, 
and you have a right to get married. When the time comes, marry a Christian who believes the truth, including this truth. The truth on marriage and divorce. Don't get married thinking divorce is an option if things don't work out. You can't do that. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. <coughs> Hebrews 13 and verse 4. We'll end with this Scripture, Hebrews 13 and 4. Marriage is honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let's be aware of these doctrines. Each of them, we, you know, we could have studied in depth further. But I just want, want us to be exposed to them and be aware of them. And know what the Bible says in truth about divorce and remarriage. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, then won't you become one? The Bible teaches that if you'll believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, that means change your mind, turn from sin and to God. Confess Jesus as Lord and Christ and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And this day you'll have the hope of heaven within your heart, forgiven of all your past sins. Now live faithfully unto death. And if you're a Christian and you're not living right, you're living in sin now, get out of it and come back to the Lord as we stand and sing a song of encouragement.